You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Deep Tran. I'm Jose Solis. And we're your token theater friends, people who love theater so much that I am currently in California where it is a literal dumpster fire. And you know what? I'm still watching theater. How are you doing, Jose? How's New York? Not Fury Road, fortunately, Miss Furiosa. I'm just going to shave my head and go punish some men. You know, that is a mood. I approve that. You don't need to shave your head for that. Like, otherwise, I- like you can't do fun color stuff. If you have a yeah. bald head. Well, yeah, I can't pull it off as, as, as good as Charlize did. You know, like she can really pull off any haircut. I mean, she was a supermodel before she was an actor. So there mm-hmm. we go. Yeah, I follow her into the apocalypse. I'd follow Tom Hardy, but now we're just talking about something else. Okay, I guess Charlize is not a gay icon. Uh, so this week, oh, this week, what are we talking about? First, we're going to be talking about an interactive Zoom show called Merger at River Crossing Book Club by Live in Theater NYC. And then we're going to be talking about MCC's Zoom version of Miscast. And uh, our guests today are Dennis O'Hare and Lisa Peterson, who you may know from their work on An Iliad, which got produced all around the country because it shows how, you know, human beings don't learn. It's like we're animals and we just don't learn. And they are back doing a new play where you can also interact with them virtually. What is a republic anyway? And it will be produced by New York Theater Workshop. So we talked to them about uh, the state of our democracy. How are you feeling about the state of our democracy, Jose? Well, considering I'm not an American citizen, we're fine everywhere. We're all fine. Every <laughs> democracy, all democracies over the world, we're all fine. Metaphorical dumpster fire. Oh, yes, I'm literal also, probably. I mean, I don't trust Republicans taking care of, you know, the Senate and like that. Anyway, the Capitol, I mean. Anyway, enough with Republicans. Let's talk about some fun stuff instead. Murder. Yes, I mean, more fun than what Republicans are doing to the country, right? We went on Zoom and we took part in something called Merger at River Crossing Book Club, which if you have ever been in a book club, most book clubs end up becoming like merger cases at some point. So, you know, it was kind of the same. So this show takes place over Zoom. And before you arrive, you're invited to wear like your best Southern attire. 
I fucking put a scarf on and jacket. Like, and I regret it, so it's like sweating so much. But anyway, that's not the point of the thing. You look so cute, though, until you took it off. But I really appreciate the uh, attention to detail. It was so hot. And I was having like, anyway, I was having like a little like sangria. I was trying to be like in the zone, in the mood and be like my best, like Blanche Dubois without the insanity kind of thing going on. But anyway, we get together on Zoom and we find out that this woman, Ursula, has been murdered and we have to figure out who did it. Audience members from all over the country, because we were in California already by then, right? Yeah. Yeah. So audience members from all over the country are playing the reporters who arrive at the site where all this happened and we have to interrogate all the witnesses. So it's kind of like a pretty cool game of Clue where you figure out exactly what happened. And the show ends when, after you've interrogated everyone, you have to put together a pitch of sorts and a headline to discuss what's the best theory you could come up with. And when we were going through this and we were were asked to pitch and to give a headline, I was like, I'm being asked to work during a show also. What is this life? Yeah, when I told us we're playing journalists, I'm just like, oh, shit. <laughs> I know. Like, who would you have wanted to play instead? Like, would you want to play, like, a rich widow? Yes! Like- I want to play someone that is not me, because literally they told us, oh, you're going to have to interview people and interrogate them and take notes. I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm just going to overdo this. And you know what? I did pages of notes that I took. And then at one point, one of the actors was like, do you have a question? I'm like, yes, I just need to write this thing down first because I know I was quiet most of the time because I was just trying to record the information so that I could figure out like the best theory about what happened and solve this mystery. And especially because you're in one of those mini Zoom rooms when you're interrogating people. with, And so there's really no room to just like sit back and not do anything. The experience proved to me was how few people apparently have read Gone with the Wind, which is the book that they were supposed to be reading in the book club within the play. And I was being like an ultra like literature nerd and being like, I love this book so much. It's one of my favorite books. And I'm like, I'm going to try to see if the answer to the mystery is inside the book. It wasn't. I think it was just like a random choice that they picked for the fake book club. But anyway, so. Well, it's uh, Southerners, you know, it's like, it's a Southern town with like a dark secret. And so they pick Gone with the Wind as their book. But remember, it was a foreigner who picked it. Wait, I, I thought it was uh, the lady who got murdered. I thought she picked it. Didn't the teacher pick it, remember? Okay, now we're just spoiling the show. Okay, okay, let's not go there. The interesting thing about what Jose was talking about, about like how at the end, we as a group picked Jose to be the one to pitch the article and make the headline because he came up with like a theory that was actually half right. And it picked up on something that I didn't pick up while I was, you know, furiously taking notes. So my question for you, Jose, how much soaps do you watch? And did, do you think that helped you in figuring out the details of this, you know, tawdry mystery? I don't watch any soaps, but I always meant to be a spy. So I'm good at like detecting like those things that escape other people. So I was like, yep, this happened. And I, and I was right. However, I cannot believe, and this is not a spoiler because like you won't figure it out unless you're like actually in the show. I cannot believe that a fashion item was the thing that I didn't see. 
where a lot of the answers were. So I was like, I'm very disappointed in myself. Like Miranda Priestley would be like, that's all right now. But did you have fun? I, and I had a lot of fun. I think when it comes to uh, things that make you really interact, and this is one of those shows where you have to be present for it as an audience member. And it really depends on like your state of mind when, when you come into it, if you're open to that. And I really don't think this show is like good for anyone who, who wants to be a wallflower. No. And more people should read Gone with the Wind because issues that it talks about aside, it's just like a really great piece of literature. But anyway, it felt like the closest I felt at a show to feeling like a journalist, if that makes sense. Like it, it encompassed so beautifully what it is like to be a journalist. And it reminded me of why I love being a journalist and why I love storytelling and why I love tawdry, you know, murder mysteries and why people should not do scenes from the books they're reading in the book club because it never ends well. And also why people should have more champagne in their purses at all times. Although you won't get what I'm talking about unless you see the show, which I hope you do because I was so excited when they said that um, they do the show for private uh, Zooms also. And I'm like, if you're really bored and you're really tired of seeing your friends in sweatpants or shirtless, as most of my gay friends show up at our Zooms, which is not as fun as it sounds. Get these people and like do like a fun little party with your friends all over, like you with your family, and try to solve a murder mystery together. Like I love the component that it was, you know, like you had to be very present, which is something that I haven't felt in a lot of the shows that uh, that we've seen during the pandemic. Where like you had to be there, you had to be paying attention. You were not supposed to be on your phone. I did leave for a little second because like I was getting too hot and I had to take all my clothes off. So, but other than that, I was here. I was like, I cranked the volume up and I was like, I want to hear everything the witnesses have to say right now. Cause I'm fucking cracking this murder. It's the last <laughs> thing I do during the pandemic. Yeah. If you're task oriented, this is a show for you. <laughs> what I really like is, and this is like a technical thing. I really like how the actors, you know, they're able to like stay in character and take any of the really random questions people were asking them. And what I really liked was I didn't do as much questioning because, you know, everyone else was very spirited. But I noticed a couple of times the actors actually like called me out to ask me if I had anything to say or to interact with me. And like, I really liked like how they made sure like everyone had their moment as an audience member. Yeah. And I also love, obviously we're not going to talk about the audience members that we saw it with out of respect because we don't know them. Although one of them was so cute. Anyway, it was so interesting as a sociological experiment. You know which one I'm talking about, right? Anyway. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, if you're watching. Listening. <laughs> uh, it was so interesting as a sociological experiment because it made me think a lot about 12 Angry Men and how like when you're in a group trying to solve something together, this like, structure always shows up. And there was one member in our audience who took on like the Charles Lawton kind of like, I'm the leader of the pack kind of thing. And he was so freaking adorable. He kept calling everyone Mr. and Miss as if we were actually in the South. And I don't know, I just loved him so much. Like I wish I could, you know, say his name, but I don't remember. And also like, I respect my audience members. But he was so adorable. Like, sir, you have a career as a character victim somewhere. 
Like I literally thought he was a plant initially or like mm-hmm. someone from the artistic team. And then, but then I was like, wait, you're getting way too into this for someone who works there. So he must love murder mysteries. He must be really good at Clue. He must get really involved during board games. I commend you, sir, for just your spirit. Though maybe let other people talk sometimes. You know, <laughs> give other people space. And I did love, maybe, I mean, probably because I had too much sangria when, I, when, when we did that. But I loved how you mentioned Clue also and like the uh, little squares and stuff. Like it made me think of Clue, but also one of my favorite games when I was growing up. Guess who? The thing is, like, I never really played Clue growing up. So it's like I only really know about it from, like, pop culture. Yeah, same. I mean, we're both nerds, but clearly we were not board game nerds. No, I kind of hate board games, actually. Even Monopoly? Yeah. It's all fake money. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. But it has the cute things. I mean, fuck the money part. Like, I was like, fuck real estate. But I was like, it had the little cute pieces. <laughs> yeah, a little car and shit. Yeah, yeah, I know. I always got the little dog in the little car. Like, you're, you're just into games for aesthetics. Sold, 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 sold. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. game of Merger Mystery was actually very, very cute. So I'm like, I was very into it. Mm-hmm. Like, Jose, if anything ever happens to me, I'm going to like leave a note and be like, call Jose. He'll okay. figure it out. I'll try my best. I mean, I'm going to knock on wood and I hope that note never comes, but uh, I'll try my best. <laughs> Murder at River Crossing Book Club has an open run and they're actually encouraging people to hire them, you know, for a party, for a cocktail hour, for some good old fashioned murder time, fun, whatever that means. But yeah, it's fun. I listened to a podcast yesterday and they said that the way to get through this moment and keep your relationships is to have novelty, create new experiences however you can. So this could be a way for you to strengthen your relationship with your friends. I thought you had just turned the murder at River Crossing into like role play for couples, which I'm like, this is not our sex podcast yet. But if it were, yes, it would be fun, right? To be, to be, yeah, role play at murder at River Crossing book club. I encourage that. Mm-hmm. You put some spice into your sexual relationship. And then you can zoom in like different rooms in your apartment. Well, I'm not going to give you all the, role play ideas for free you're gonna have to subscribe to our upcoming sex sex podcast for that so let's move on to our next show we're not doing a sex podcast unless you all actually want us to do a sex podcast (laughs) i mean neither of us is having sex right now so (laughs) that's why we have plants and bread yeah instead boys i have carbs now don't you have like fancy trees over there oh yeah yeah did you see my dragon fruit i mean it's technically your parents dragon yeah my parents i don't (laughs) eat it you don't eat it no i don't actually like dragon fruit so you have like the thing and you don't want it like literally this is a case of the grass is always greener would you like me to ship you some (laughs) dragon fruit i mean are you even allowed to ship any like produce right now with the world falling apart oh it's true though there have been reports of like people's like food and stuff rotting because it's not getting to the destination because u.s has stopped funding the post office maybe not send me like dry dragon fruit or whatever that is, or seeds, so I can plant my own dragon fruit. No, probably seeds aren't a bad idea. Anyway, let's do our next show. <laughs> All right. So MCC Theater, which is an off-Broadway theater in Manhattan, every year for their annual gala, they do a show called Miscast with a bunch of Broadway stars. 
who sing songs from shows that they will never get to sing on stage because they're not the right character type for it. So it's a lot of men singing songs originally written by women. My personal favorite was that time Kelly O'Hara sang a Billy Flynn song from Chicago, and it was very hot. You can watch it on YouTube. It may have turned Jose straight for five minutes. Made me gayer. Oh, after that, I tweeted about how I would join her all-female mafia, and she liked it. It's the lipstick lesbians. Gonna rule the world someday. And this year, MCC Theater did a virtual version of Miss Cast where anyone could tune in to watch and donate money, and a lot of people did. It was really fun to actually watch it in its entirety instead of watching it on YouTube in small videos, because I've actually never been to a Miss Cast Gala because I'm not cool enough to be invited to one. Have you been to one? God, no, I'm not rich enough. I'm not cool enough. Like, no. Like, this is the closest that I'll ever be to one. But Kelly O'Hara wasn't there, so whatever. No, Lil Butts was there. And he met her. So I was like, oh my God, does this mean that she's going to show up? But nope. So Norbert, I don't like you right now. Like, never tease Kelly O'Hara to Jose. Never. It's interesting the way they did this, because it was different from the other theater variety shows. A lot of people shot, like, music videos, almost, where they lip-synced to them singing the song. Ingrid Michaelson sang a song, and I'm pretty sure it was lip-synced. It sounded like it was lip-synced. Rob McClure sang a Mrs. Lovett song from The Worst Pies in London from Sweeney Todd, and that was definitely lip-synced, because he was, like, banging with a rolling pin and eating cat food and generally chaotic energy that I was really entertained by. Robbie Fairchild's performance, obviously, because he was like jumping like he was, what's his cat name again? Munkle's truck? Munkle's <laughs> strap? Munkle's strap, yeah. Munkle's strap. I'm going to start calling him Munkle Jockstrap because holy crap, is that cat very gay? And I love him for it. Ever since he played a gay cat, like, I've been, like, strangely attracted to him. And he kind of brought the gay cat thing back for this one because he was dancing all over his apartment. He does have a very small kitchen, which I'm, like, makes me kind of good for living in Brooklyn because I have a huge kitchen, so. Mm-hmm. Relatable, you yeah. know? Broadway stars, they also have, you know, window AC units. I forgot what I was saying because I was thinking about Robbie jumping and like twirling on his rooftop and I was so scared for him but yeah like he was obviously lip synced mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was cool because I mean like if they're not gonna give us like the live thing they might as well give us a little bit of like some flair and you know seeing some choreography for instance like that was kind of fun yeah I I, I kind of wish it was more like what Robert Fairchild or Rob McClure did which was you know film give us a little mini music video though because a lot of it was people just singing directly to a camera, not live. But I understand that it's one of those things. Some people have resources and experience doing that. Other people don't. So it's really dependent on performers. You know, I hope as we go through this experience, maybe they'll bring in more directors to help direct these actors on how to, you know, really make great at-home music videos or at-home performances. I think we're past uh, performing in the bathroom. Right, right, right. But at the same time, I'm also like, you know, if you need to perform in the bathroom, it's, it's a fucking horrible times for everyone. So please perform in the bathroom. Like, I appreciate that you're singing to us. So do mm-hmm. your thing. But if you can do a little bit of extra magic, like it is very, very encouraged. Who was your favorite? 
Oh my God, Rob McClure, which is surprising because I'm usually not about him at all. Why not? He's so cute. Yeah, but he hasn't been in anything I actually like. Well, I never saw Chaplin. Did you see Chaplin? No. But I love him though. My favorite, I think, one of the things about miscast that I always find very funny is that I end up seeing these people who are miscast and they're perfect for the role. Who doesn't want Katrina fucking Lenk to play Tevya? Mm-hmm. Right? Who doesn't want Adrian Warren as Hello Dolly now? We weren't thinking it, but then she said it and sang the song. And I'm like, oh my God, you're only like 20 years off. If Barbara can do it at 27, you can do it now. Do it. Yeah, go for it. Who doesn't want Kelly also as Billy Flynn? And who doesn't want Norbert as Mary Magdalene? I have never been more attracted to someone singing Tomorrow as I was to Joshua Henry with his guitar in front of his posters singing that song. And I was like, am I supposed to be turned on by a song by an orphan? So he should put on the red wig? No, 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 no. (laughs) No, I don't have like an Annie fetish. Like, no. I'm just talking about the marriage of the song with someone who I think is really talented and hot. But anyway, to make my point better, when Leslie Odom Jr. and his wife, Nicolette Robinson, sang The Human Heart from Once on this Island, I want Leslie Odom Jr. to play Erzuli at some point now. I was like, this is perfect. That voice, it was like perfect. He can totally play a goddess of like things, as long as there are other roles that are usually played by men, women can take them. So he can get to play Zuli at some point. Yeah. What you were saying about Josh Henry, I think is really key to like enjoying miscast, which was enjoying the fact that these performers, because they're so different from the original intention of the song, they imbue the song with like new meaning and like, new interpretation because we've never heard Tomorrow from Annie sang acoustically with the guitar and down to earth and very bare bones. It sounded like a Bonnie Vare song. Yeah, I was going to say by a very hot man and a very hot man rarely sings Tomorrow. But also, you know, like sometimes it's the opposite. It's like the song shows up with the performer and you're like, yeah, this totally fits. Like I can't see this happening. Like when Isaac Powell sang On My Own and I was like, you have such eponine energy, Isaac Powell, that, I, that I'm like, yeah, this is like, you know, this is good. It's a good song, a good performance. But I'm like, you totally have eponine energy, which maybe I should do my rendition of uh, I Dream the Dream now that I have Fantine's haircut right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you pulled an Anne Hathaway or Britney Spears in your bathroom. Well, give me the Oscar. Like, you- I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> but I really want to commend the MCC team for it was edited by 18 people in five different states and all of these performers are like all around the country or, or the world now. So it was really it was really great for them to put this event together for us, knowing how much people love it. <laughs> And to like show people that, oh, you don't have to do your gala or your event or your theater the, the same way that it, it had been done before. Like you can try something new. And I, I saw in the comments, like so many people want them to do that next year. They want it live cast. They've stumbled onto an opportunity to like put MCC's message out to more people. And potentially make more money. Theater isn't supposed to open until the fall of 2021. So we're going to be getting Zoom galas for a very long time. And the great thing about Zoom galas is a celebrity doesn't, you don't have to fly them in to perform. They can do it anywhere. So it's potentially cheaper than renting out a 
gigantic venue with tables and shit. Do we have anything else to say about Miss Cats? Oh, yeah. Uh, I just want to say, though, producers, can you all please just try to coordinate better your events? Because on the same night Miss Cast happened, at the same time, there was a Princess Bride Zoom reading reunion that was a fundraiser for the Wisconsin Democrats. And so I missed Manny Patinkin doing... Anigo Montoya again because I was busy watching Miscast, which you know, no regrets, but I missed out on something. More importantly, I thought you were going to say the same thing that I was missing because of Miscast, and it was versus with <laughs> Miss Patty LaBelle and Miss freaking Gladys Knight. And I was flipping channels, whatever that means nowadays, like basically going from my iPad to my TV. And because of Miscast, I ended up missing. Gladys Knight singing Midnight Train in Georgia, which is why I'm going to give you my rendition of Midnight Train in Georgia now as part of my miscast. Should I? No, I shouldn't. Maybe you should do your Inigo Montoya and then I can do my Midnight Train in Georgia. I'm going to get like angry emails if I try to do an accent. I mean, just say something from The Princess Bride so I can get to sing a few notes. Okay. As you wish. Okay. That was like really wonderful. Bravo. This is our miscast, by the way. And now... He's leaving, leaving on a midnight train to Georgia, living on a midnight train to Georgia. I'd rather live in his world than live without him in my eye. See, Miss Cass, this was our gala. Give us some money. Speaking about people that are in different parts of the world, we went to London via Zoom to talk to Denny O'Hare and Lisa Peterson, who was in New York to talk about their new project uh, for New York Theatre Workshop. So let's go check out that interview. Hi, Dennis. Hi there. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm all right. You're quarantining in London, right? I am. Exactly. This is my, my lovely pad. It's very nice. Where are you guys? Uh, New York. Queens. Nice. Are you ever coming back? No. <laughs> Hi, Lisa. Good morning. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Deep. Hello. Hi, Lisa. Where are you right now? I am uh, up on 181st Street with Rachel Houck, who says hello to you. Oh, oh my God. I had no idea you all live together. We've been together for 23 years. Oh, wow. I really do not follow people's personal lives. Yeah, but send my greetings to Rachel. I will. You guys guys have Manhattan, Queens, and Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Is Staten Island showing up in the Bronx? Someone might drop into our apartments. Like, we never know. So why do an Iliad now during the pandemic? And how is it changing from previous uh, versions that you've done of it? Well, this actually is, a, it is connected in a, in a distant way with an Iliad, but it's a, it's a whole new thing. Um, an Iliad, obviously, is the piece that we made starting in about 2005 about the Trojan. It was an adaptation of Homer's Iliad and... A really a response to the fact that the U.S. had invaded Iraq. So it was really very much about war. Um, we still perform, people do that play around the country, and, then, and we actually tour our version with Dennis yeah. playing the poet around the world. We've had this really fun um, side hustle, I guess. For six years now, we've been on the touring circuit with Amelia, and we've gone to some really great places, including... We've played it in Cairo, we've played it in Shanghai, and we had been working on a companion piece, a solo for a woman to do, 
that was called Song of Rome and kind of picked up the story, the classical story from the end of the Trojan War, but was and 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 and, and followed um, Aeneas, you know, around back westward uh, until he sort of founds Rome and. Uh, with air quotes around it. and uh, But really that this companion piece was a chance for us to start talking about empire and government and the way that human beings organize themselves. Because we, we started thinking about how, like five years ago, Dennis, that yeah. that's what we wanted to be thinking about, you know, and the, primarily. And the, funny, and the funny thing is, is that that play has been moving forward, but then incidentally, Jim Nicola became interested in pulling out of that play a section called What the Hell is Republic Anyway, which deals only with the Republic part of Rome and not the monarchy and not the empire and not the fall of Rome. So now we've become the play. In this weird way, Lisa and I are the major protagonists in a play, kind of about writing a play and about collaboration, but about Mm -hmm. where we are in this moment. And of course, the play keeps changing because in the middle of it, the pandemic happened, so we moved it to Zoom, and then Black Lives Matter happened, and we're like, oh, my God, we have to respond to this. And now the election is happening. Oh, my God, we have to respond to that. And we keep responding in real time to these real crises in our democracy. So where are we at this moment, then? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> let's see. Today, we've discovered that Trump is encouraging his voters to vote twice. Uh, and he lied that, about knowledge, he lied about the pandemic that he knew it was bad and he'd lied. And you know, as a friend of mine pointed out, his mother died in a nursing home in April. And had they known, and had he been honest, and had we had a plan, she would be alive today. Her death is directly on his doorstep, which is incredible that this man has done this. So where we're at, in a weird way, is where we're at with our play. We're looking at Rome and how Republican Rome slowly fell apart and we're on that road so are you optimistic about november how are you feeling i'm scared i i i i i wish i could be i've had moments of optimism though i have some reservations i mostly am excited particularly about kamala harris i was actually i'm from california so i i know that she's you are oh yeah. yeah what part Oh, uh, Southern uh, Orange County. I'm actually flying out tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm from, I'm from Santa Cruz, uh, Northern California. Oh, so my God. Hopefully I, they're okay from... Uh, the fires are incredibly scary. Oh, okay. This is... I know. <laughs> but anyway, I was always... I've been very... I know, you know, she, she's a tough ass. I'm inspired by her. And I actually, when she was running for president, she was kind of my, my top pick for a while. So, like, I got, a, I got hopeful when she was chosen as the as the vice presidential nominee and I actually think she would make a great president so I can yeah, see it you I know I, can, I look at her and I go oh my gosh that might be our future but I don't know you know I know we shouldn't listen to the polls uh but it's basically even how can that be so I am pretty nervous about the election well that's that's the continuing I think in in French you say casse-tête which means to break the head it's literally bang your head against the, against the wall in French. Mm. It's baffling to me that there can be anybody in our country who still believes that that man is capable of being in that office. Even if you like his style and you kind of you hate the Democrats, honestly, that man is not capable of 
running the country. He's run it into the ground. And any, anybody who believes he is, then we're, we're in a lot more trouble than I thought. That's why I'm not optimistic. Because even if Biden wins, we still have that 40% of those people who would have voted for that man. And they're still in our country. And they still carry guns. And they still will show up at rallies. And they will still support regressive policies. And they will still protest against protesters. That's what I find unfathomable. We have people who are protesting police brutality. And we have people protesting the protest. What are you protesting? What are you protesting? When you are against Black Lives Matter, what are you against? I don't get it. You're against black people. Well, it, it seems obvious to me the fact that this is what our country has come to, that we have people taking the law into their own hands and showing up with weapons, and that that's not illegal is a huge problem. And so I'm not optimistic. I'm not optimistic about this country at all. I think this country's fault lines have always been there, and I think Trump has made them, made them acceptable, and people are acting on that. And I think Biden... If he's elected, it would be amazing. But how is he going to put? Oh, uh, you cut off at the end there, Dennis. Probably just as well. <laughs> I, said, I mean, how do you put that awful genie back in the bottle? I don't know. You know, the thing I, I kind of assume that, I mean, I, I think it's true that, that most people look at where we are in this country right now and they see, I mean, if they're at all interested in ancient history as a model, it's kind of obvious to think of Trump as a sort of terrible emperor to make parallels between him and Nero fiddling while Rome burns, or even worse, worse emperors, you know, Caligula, the, the, the really scary guy. I think the reason we're trying to focus on the Republic part of Roman history is because of those deeper fault lines that we're observing. Like, yes, Trump is X, Y, and Z. We have a president right now who is leaning us further and further away from a republic and more and more toward an empire. Now, that's a pattern that happened in Rome 2,000 years ago. It's worth looking at, and lot, we're not the only ones. Lots and lots of yeah. people are looking at it. But I think we decided that all the structures that were put in place over time, you know, that made the Roman Republic last for 500 years, some of them were things that the Americans borrowed very consciously. This is what we're learning, that it's not accidental that they're similar, that those guys in the room where it happened, you know, I mean, I can't stop picturing like now Hamilton guys <laughs> were like bringing out their history books. We're like, let's, did uh, Cicero they say knew it. about yeah, this? They knew it. Yeah. And so the founding principles that make the little machine run and tend toward fairness and tend toward equity and tend toward trying to take care of everybody are uh, they're borrowed from the Romans and they're in peril now. So just trying to understand a little bit more about what a republic is, is what this piece is about. And really, we're not experts at all. So what we do is we sort of say, we are two theater people who are a bit panicked about what is about to happen. And we want to expose our, as if we, you know, metaphorically had these piles of books, and we are just rifling through them to try to find, I don't know, a bit of positivity, some humor, an answer, some clarity, do you want to be with us while we kind of page through all this research? And also, as we sort of, you know, bounce the ball back and forth between each other about what is happening right now.
But also, you know, the thing about, you know, Rome is many things to many people. And what you hear when you hear Rome differs according to each person's experience. And a lot of people hear Rome and they just think of military might. Or they hear of Rome and they, they think of the buildings or whatever. But, you know, that Rome invented law. That Rome, you know, was a democratic republic in some ways, in many ways. And in a, in a stew of other nations which weren't doing that at all, it's kind of extraordinary. And when you think about the fact that the Romans, you know, they used protests to get what they wanted. So thinking about Black Lives Matter, there was one big period in Roman history where the plebs, meaning the people who weren't patricians, weren't allowed to vote and weren't allowed to be in the Senate. So they withdrew. They left the city and they went somewhere else and they took all their military might and all their food and all their animals and their wives and went, good luck. And the patricians were like, wait, come back. We need you. They said, well, if we come back, we get to vote. And they went, okay, you get to vote. So you watch in Rome this process by which people acquired rights through protest and through actions. It's inspirational in that way. You know, and, and Lisa mentioned that the founding fathers were aware of Rome. There's a play called Cato, which is written by a guy named um, uh, Addison. And it was written in 1713. It was hugely popular. And George Washington had it performed for his men um, at Valley Forge in the middle of the winter to inspire them. And who was Cato, Dennis? And Cato was a Roman senator who, um, who in the time of Julius Caesar, fought against Julius Caesar because Julius Caesar was trying to dismantle the Republic and become a dictator and become a, an autocrat. And Cato fought against that for liberty and freedom. And in fact, the Patrick Henry's cry, give me liberty or give me death, is a plagiarism from Cato. It's taken from oh, the, I didn't know that. Taken oh. from the play, yeah. But that's, the Americans weren't just vaguely aware of Rome. They built this country on Roman foundations and Roman principles. Listen to describe the president as one of the most horrible emperors. I also started seeing him as like a Greek figure, like an Oedipus, especially knowing what you said right now, the death of his mom. And I wonder for you as artists and just as human beings, is it comforting or just like super depressing that we have had these stories for centuries and centuries and we still don't get them? We keep repeating them. That, you know, we, we confront that in the Iliad. That's one of the central themes of an Iliad is basically we have all the evidence. When will mankind change? And I think it's, it's no different. There are progress is made, obviously. People's life expectancy is longer. We deal with poverty in a different way. We are a more democratic society. Go ahead, Lisa, sorry. I was just listening to you and thinking, I guess I find it both, Jose, both depressing to think that humankind doesn't learn. But also, I do ultimately think that, that we move forward in a very spiral way, bit by bit. Then again, if I think about climate change, or do I really think we move forward toward racial justice? Yes, a, a bit, most, kind of, but not really. So very slowly, very slowly, slowly. So it, for me, it's both comforting to know that, that we've been through this before and very, very depressing. And it's such a good question. I'm puzzling over it still. And you know, one, of, one of the great things yeah. about looking at Rome and America is just to look at what did Rome do well that we're not doing well? And one of the things that Rome did really well was that Rome did not trust in the individual. 
They were not an individualized society. They were a collective society, a communal society. They mistrusted the individual so much that in their power, they had two leaders, two consuls who were co-presidents at the same time, who only served for one year, and then they got to go. That's what they knew about human nature, what would happen if you allow one man to run things. George Washington was offered to be the king of the U.S., and he said no, and then he was offered to be president. And then he offered a second term, and he said, no, I don't think I should have a second term. We've lost that idea. He was trying to be very Roman in the idea of, he understood the temptation to think that you have all the answers. Let somebody else come up, new energy, new power. It really is a pro-government idea. Lisa and I talk a lot about government and government structures, and, you know, I'm very pro-government because the, answer, uh, the other answer is anarchy. And anarchy kills more people. Do you want to have more people alive or more people dead? Those are your options. If it's going to be anarchy, total anarchy, more people will die because people will form their own mini-governments. They just will. People collect themselves. They organize themselves. They pick a leader and they make rules. That's what happens. You're telling us, Lisa, that you'll be acting in the piece? It's not a traditional play. I don't actually think it's right to call what we're doing now for, for New York Theatre Workshop, a play. What the Hell is a Republic Anyway is, is more of an experiment. And it's very meta-theatrical, if you can even say theater, in the context. I mean, it's a digital project. Yeah, the only characters are Dennis and me. We are playing ourselves. We are in it. I've never been so nervous as I was. We worked on this with Dartmouth. You know, New York Theatre Workshop normally up in August goes up to Dartmouth to... Uh, workshop stuff. So we did that, but virtually. And we did a performance up there. The piece is really structured as a conversation that Dennis and I are having and a kind of town meeting because we interact with the audience. What makes it most experimental, other than the fact that I am not an actor, (laughs) I'm just being myself, and that the piece is semi-scripted, but a lot of it is improvised is that we really interact with the audience. The piece is a Zoom meeting between Dennis and I and an audience of 100 people. And we ask the people to come in and do certain things with us and then turn off their video and mute themselves and listen. The thing that's the most fun and the craziest is this unknown of us asking questions of that audience and asking them to do certain things with us and basically trying to run a meeting of 100 people, of 100 strangers. And get a sense of them. And in in that, you know, it it reflects the experiment that is democracy and government. Because we have an opportunity with with Zoom to have an audience come from not just New York City, not just come from Brooklyn and the the Upper West Side. We can have audience come from Texas, from places that don't normally get access to this kind of theater. People who don't agree with us. People who may have a very different point of view. And we're really excited by that idea. That, to me, would be really interesting. Is it harder to play a character or to play yourself? I've done it before. It's always a little weird. I mean, here's the funny thing. My character version of me is always a little bit more of an asshole for some reason. I don't know why that happened. <laughs> I don't know why that happened. At what point during the you know, quarantine and the chaos of the pandemic did you go, okay, it's time to create? Because I know that for the first month or so, I barely went to leave my couch and like, stop eating ice cream and watching Sex and the City reruns. In January, we were seriously talking about doing it live on stage, and it was more about the coming election than anything else. And Dennis, I don't know if you've said this already, but 
Dennis lives in Paris now. And so he and I work this way, meaning using Zoom or we used to use Skype. Skype back in the day. This is how we work. And so we thought even then that it, there would be a virtual or digital element to it because we weren't sure. Maybe I would be sitting on the stage at, you know, on East 4th Street and Dennis would be in a theater in Paris or something like that. So there was a natural, when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden this is the only way all of us are communicating, it sort of seemed obvious that we could keep working on it. But I will say personally for myself, I don't know. I'm not saying this is it a good thing because I say, but I clutched immediately, like literally that weekend after all the theaters closed, I started going, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to have this project with this friend. I'm going to meet that person Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from two to three. I'm going to talk to Dennis on Tuesdays and Thursdays from one to four. My only response to the unknown was to go into major scheduling and I'm not proud of that. And now, like six months into it, I missed an opportunity to simply exhale and to just be. I actually admire people like you, Jose, who, who went, you know what? I do not know. And I'm just going to just sit in that for a while. But that's not me. I am very, I need projects. I need to be busy to, to an extreme that can be unhealthy. You're not really an Aquarius. You should have been born a Capricorn like me. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So I threw so many balls in the air back in March and April, like ideas, but why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? But now that they're actually coming to fruition, which I didn't think they would, and they've stacked up on me. So I am doing I, too many projects right now. Do, do you mind if I ask you guys a question? Of course. Back to the topic of government and the election and all that. I had a very disturbing but enlightening conversation with my 30-year-old cousin. Um, who said that he sees no difference between the two parties, that he sees that they're one party, the party of money. I'm just curious for your reaction to that. No, that's insane. First of all, it's insane. But I have complicated, complex thoughts because I am an immigrant. I can't even vote right now. Like I have like almost like no rights in this country right now. And one of the reasons why I ended up moving to America was because in 2009, there was a democratic back military coup in my home country. So I ended up here and then there's a Republican president telling me to go back to where Obama and Clinton helped stabilize. So no, no, no. If I could vote, I would I would be wearing Biden, Harris, stuff everywhere. It's so interesting because like even you know every time I hear the word republic and I See, my peers thinking about Republic, they probably imagine some like Star Wars thing where like we must save the Republic. It feels like very <laughs> detached, very surreal. But it's, I keep reminding people here, you know, that voting is both a duty and also a privilege. And that's the one thing that I want everyone, you know, since I can't vote, I tell them, please vote for me. It makes me really sad. Because as a journalist, I just consume information and I want to be informed. It really saddens me to know that educated people can be that misinformed and how the information system in our society is just broken. And we've all gone off into our own factions where we only consume the information that, that we consider safe for us to, to consume. 
I think if you are an avid reader of the news and you have media literacy and you know about the different positions of the parties and the politicians, like you cannot say that because it is unequivocally untrue. But there are people who think that. And so what I've been struggling with is just how do you convince people to believe in a system that they think is flawed? And it is, and it is flawed because it's run by human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, so every, every institution that has people in it, like the UN, I love the UN, of course the UN is flawed because it's run by human beings. And it's a political organization, so you have political considerations. Every decision is political. Of course it is. Of course it's flawed. It's also very sad because like, people see uh, elections happening once, and it's like the presidential, like the general election, and that's it. But I keep telling people, sure, like Democrats have lobbyists and like all those, like, those old guard figures. But if you refuse to vote for the Democratic platform, you're erasing AOC, Ilhan Omar, all those incredible women of color who are bringing the change. And obviously they can't all run for president at once. Like, and people forget that, you know, you mentioned that progress was a spiral. Yeah. And it's so slow. It's a very slow spiral. Oh. So I'm like, if you don't vote for Biden and Harris, you are denying AOC and Presley and Rashid and all these incredible women the opportunity to even grow as politicians and to actually make the change that we want. That is so well put. You just gave three great examples of why I do feel that there is progress. And they educate by their very existence. Their existence tells people a story that they may not have known before. And they're inspiring thinkers and they have a vision. Um, for the future. So that coil, it's like, boy, it's tight, that coil toward progress. I wonder since, since the two of you were ahead in the collaborating virtually over Skype or Zoom before everyone else in theater got into it, what are some of the things that you would like to bring from this practice of collaborating digitally to when people, I hope, fingers crossed someday soon, are allowed to meet again and collaborate together? The great opportunity is to erase time and distance. Lisa and I are really consistent. We work all the time. We, we talk at least three or four times a week, sometimes for hours. We work together. I'm in Paris. I have a son. So I put my, my son down to bed. I read him a story at night at 10, 30, or 11. I put him in the bed and then get out of bed with him, and I meet Lisa online. That's amazing that we can do it. Collaboration doesn't have to be in the same city. And I love this idea that we can continue to invite other people to witness these collaborations. Because if you don't get to New York Theatre Workshop on West 4th Street, you're not going to see this piece. Well, now you can. Anybody can subscribe. Anybody for 10 bucks a month can join New York Theatre Workshop season anywhere and see it. You know, the trans kid in Mississippi who has no support around them has an opportunity digitally to not be alone to find a community, to find other people that they can talk to. That's a huge gift of this technology. I'm wondering, because Jose and I have had a lot of conversations back and forth about like what makes theater theater now in the age of Zoom and what makes it different from like film and TV. What are your opinions about how theater can, can still be itself, but done over a screen? Well, for me, I, I think it, it centers on the idea of what is live. Dennis and I talk about this all the time. One of the primary things about theater, beyond this ancient idea, we have to gather in a space together. 
as a director, I've talked about that for decades of this is what makes theater beautiful. We gather in a space together, just like people have been doing for centuries and we have to be together. But I do now know that there are other ways for us to gather in a space together, like what Dennis is talking about. We are gathered. The four of us are gathered in a space together. We're listening to each other and we're thinking, we're having a conversation. So that's this, that's gathering in a space together. But what theater does that film and television doesn't do is it is live in a moment. So that moment could be like, for me, it's whatever, 1030 in the morning. For Dennis, it's 330 in the afternoon. I don't even know where you guys are. You might be in a different time zone. You could be. But this moment that we're in is the same. And anything could happen. Something could blurt out of my mouth. Dennis could get up and he could suddenly need to leave and we wouldn't know why. We could ask a question of, of you guys and, and that might, might change the nature of the conversation. All those things are, are live. So I don't think I mean that it has to be you know, a live Zoom thing, but there's something about the presence of liveness mm-hmm. that you have to capture, even if you are recording it. The only other project in this New York Theatre Workshop series, that the instigator series that I've been able to glance at, is seeing David Kale and Dale Orlander Smith work on their piece a little bit, because they were also up at Dartmouth. If we had really been in Dartmouth, we'd be having meals with them, we'd be seeing them on the path, so we didn't get any of that. But I did sit in on their presentation, and there's David in his living room, and there's Dale in her living room, and they're alternating reading these brand new monologues and even though it wasn't live we were live because that's what we're doing we're talking to an audience but they were a recorded but it still felt like it had captured a kind of unpracticed moment or something where they were it felt unfiltered I don't know what is liveness what is liveness is that question that's really interesting it's the audience and Lisa and I talk a lot about the audience and I think for an audience, being live means you are seen and you are heard. Mm-hmm. So if we're in a comedy in New York, your laughter is part of the show. And the actors look at you, will look out to the audience for a laugh, to push that laugh line. You know what I mean? They, they give a take like, can you believe it? That's you being seen. So Lisa and I, mm-hmm. in our evolution of this piece, are very concerned with the audience being seen and heard. Because what is the difference then? If they're not seeing it, they're just this blank, and Lisa and I are on two talking heads, we can't feel them. And we need to feel them. I even miss the coughs these days when I'm watching theater in my, in my bedroom. Like, I need someone to cough and, like, you know, like, work next to me. You touched on, like, what I really love about theater, which is the fact that I'm accountable to the people on stage as well as an audience member. And I have to focus and I can't look at my phone. I can't be distracted by anything else. Like I have to be present in the moment, which how often can we be present in our modern life? And so just backstage at what is a Republic anyway. So are y'all going to like, just look at a hundred tiny little zoom screens on your end? Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. I love it. Yeah. At least in the first episode, the one that we've practiced a bit up at Dartmouth, we, we ask people to enter and then leave. We're, we're moving the audience. So in a way, I suppose it's, it's more like, it isn't like sleep no more, but it moves the audience from room to room. So we might say, okay, we're going to put you in the quote unquote green room now. We won't see you right now. But then, hey, everybody, can you turn on your video and up come a couple pages worth of faces and 
and then we'll have an interaction and then we'll say, okay, turn your video off and back they'll go to the green room. And, you know, Janice and I took part in this, the Orchard Project, all their labs were digital this summer. All their workshops were digital. They did a lab called the Liveness Lab that Dennis and I took part in. And what, the most interesting thing about it was that they decided to have absolutely everybody who applied would do it because there wasn't scarcity. So 130, mostly theater artists, were all part of this. And just to try to be part of a Zoom community that's that big was exciting and also frustrating. And we'd be put into breakout rooms and then we'd be pulled back into a big room. And the experience of doing that felt pretty fun. So I think in part we're going to, we would like to give the audience for this piece that same experience. So it feels like Fafu and you could turn the lights on and off. Fafu, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a better example than uh, Sleep No More. Yeah. I love it. This is the time of the uh, interview where you plug everything you want us to see, including the New York Theater Workshop uh, Project and everything you have going on streaming or in the future of books. So as part of New York Theater Workshop's season of instigators, making work for the digital platform, we are putting this piece, What the Hell is Republic Anyway, on for four episodes, plus a fifth, all building toward the election on November 3rd. So our first episode will air on September 22nd in the early evening. I'm not sure exactly what time, but the 22nd. Then two weeks later, we'll do episode two. I think that's on October 6th. And then the third episode is two weeks later on the 22nd, I think. And the fourth episode is the night before the election, November 2nd, Monday, November 2nd. Uh, oh, yes, Dennis, you're right. The third episode is the 20th of October. It's, so it's all Tuesdays, three Tuesdays, and then a Monday. And then we're going to do two weeks after the election. That's the kind of let's gather together with the audience we've built and, and talk about what has happened. Either way, we're going to do that. And if you can't come live, you'll be able to see it afterwards. So you, you can catch up. You can watch it streaming. But what we say is more than any other thing, the reason you want to be live on this one is that you're going to be in it. So you want to be in it. You don't want to be watching it later and go, I can't be in it. Exactly. You want to be one of those little boxes. Yeah. yeah. I am also at the same time working on a radio play version of It Can't Happen Here, uh, ad- adapted from the Sinclair Lewis novel. This is a project that I actually directed four years ago at about this time at Berkeley Rep. And we decided very last minute that, that we would put it together as a, as a large-scale radio project. So Berkeley Rep is producing it, but it's going to go out to theaters across the country, just like it did back in during the WPA in 1936. So I am actually in the middle of rehearsing and starting to record that now. It Can't Happen Here is also a very political work of art about what would happen if a ridiculous, clownish, fascistic-leaning person was was elected as president of the United States. Fascism comes to the United States in that story, which is set in 1935 and was inspired by the candidacy of Huey Long and also Sinclair Lewis seeing what was happening in in Europe at the time and being worried about it. So it can happen here. Well, now we know it can. (laughs) Now we know it can. Yeah, and it can get worse. (laughs) We think this is pretty bad, but it can get worse. Um, I am uh, doing a bunch of just little teeny things on the side, you know, 
always a bunch of side hustles. Um, uh, I was in American Gods, which we shot last year in Canada, and that's going to be coming out soon. I think I did four episodes of that, and that was pretty fun. I'm in, in, in London right now doing this TV series for HBO called The Nevers. And so I shot six or five episodes, and now I'm shooting my sixth episode. That won't be on until next year, but it's Joss Whedon. It's pretty great. And um, I'm writing a novel about the eventual breakup of the United States. And I've written my first draft, and I'm sending it out to my literary agent, and I'm trying to find a publisher, publish my novel. Um, I had pitched it as a TV series, and everybody loved the idea, but nobody would buy it because it's too scary. And so I was like, I'm going to write the novel. And so that's what I'm doing right now. And I hope to get the novel written, published, and then somebody will adapt it for TV. I'll be right back where I started from. Um, it's timely now. Yeah, it is. I mean, the, pro- the problem is, is that things that I've written in the novel are already coming true. And I'm like, ah, I can't stay ahead of history. I wrote a character in the novel, this kind of awful woman named Karen. Just that kind of awful, like, know-it-all. And I was like, oh, my God, Karen is coming true. So I, I can't stay ahead of, the, of reality fast enough. Are you keeping her name, Karen? Yeah, yeah. I, there you wrote it. Yeah, but, you know. I mean, if, yeah. if that means you have prophetic powers, then please write a happy ending for the Republic, then. Yes, Jose. Yes, okay, thank you. Good, good note, good note. And now we have a special new segment that we want to introduce to all of you. Every week, we're going to try to give a shout out to one of our Patreon patrons and what they're working on because we love them and they're doing great work as well. And we think you should know more about the people who support us. So Jose, who are we shouting out today? Absolutely. Today we're saying hi to Garlia Cornelia who joined us recently. Welcome to our community. And Garlia is an artist, also a wonderful theater person, and she's also the artistic director of Blackboard Place. And her resume is like quite, quite, quite impressive. She's done work at the public and work all over. Well done, Garlia. We are so honored to have you as one of our listeners and viewers, and we hope to make you very happy and proud with what we do over here. Let us know what you're working on. Maybe someday you'll be on our show. Crossing fingers, doing great things. Our patrons are. Oh my gosh, I sound like fucking Yoda. Uh, <laughs> on purpose, that was? No. <laughs> and you can find links to Garlia's work on our website, tokentheaterfriends.com, as well as links to the things that we talked about on this episode. And if you love our podcast and you love what we do, then please become a patron on Patreon. We have an account. You can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, and they'll give you access to our weekly newsletter of recommendations and outtakes. And we also do reader polls and discussions and you can DM us, slide into our DMs whenever you want. Or if you can't, then rate us, review us, share our stuff. And uh, we're just glad that you are here. We're very, very glad. And also if you become a patron, you're going to be in the coolest credit sequence of all times because you're going to have your name next to like cool people on a video version. So check that out. Check out the credits and be like, so I want to be part of those credits. They're really cool. Is there anything else you want to say to the people? Don't go to gender reveal parties. Don't cause any fires. Vote Democrat all the way down. And I love you, AOC. Please listen to the show. Please come on the show. Or Kelly, please come on the show. We've talked about you so much. Do you think she knows? 
maybe we can try tweeting at her and then if we tweet at her enough. Oh my God. Like Stephanie J Block still needs to get back to us. Yes, I know. Please, Stephanie, come on our show. Like I'll wear all my share stuff for you. <laughs> the share show stuff. Oh. <laughs> it's like a turn back time. We would not be here if we could turn back time. We would we would have clear skies and all that. Okay. Hillary would win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. Have a good week, everyone. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.